Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. All right. Hey, Joey. It's been a few weeks since we've done Cut for Time together. And yeah. so um, you had to jump back in at really an exciting point in our ex journey. It's not that I had to, it's that I got to. Yeah. Jump back in. Yeah. Halfway through the story of the conversion of Saul, soon to be known more popularly by his Greek name, Paul. And like, this isn't just a turning point in his life, but Mm -hmm. it's like a huge turning point in the gospel or sorry, in the book of Acts, because Mm -hmm. the gospel is now being shared with, um, we're going to see that it's starting to be shared with Gentiles. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first like explicit mention, um, of Jesus himself saying to Saul while saying to Ananias about Saul, uh, this guy is the guy I'm going to use to take this message to the Gentiles. And you're like, wait, what? Gentiles? How does how does that work? Yeah. And to us, I mean, it doesn't mean as much to us because it's what we've right. always known. We're like, well, duh, to I'm them, a Gentile. And I totally yeah. wrecked their world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because it, and it wrecked their world because it's like, oh, Jesus isn't just Israel's Messiah. But because of his death and resurrection, he's also Lord of the whole world. Right. God made everything and then chose Israel and then through Israel. Now he's saving everything, everyone again. Mm-hmm. So it's like the whole story started broad. It went narrow and now it's broadening back out again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't you give us a recap? I know we've just kind of talked a little bit about mm-hmm. it, but go ahead and give us a recap from your sermon on Sunday. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So we were looking at Acts 9, 10 through 19 and the shift, there's a shift in the, the, kind of scene or the scope of the 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 narrator takes now we're shifted to Ananias from talking you know seeing things from Paul's perspective and what's happening to him directly now we're seeing this interaction between Jesus and Ananias and so the point of well I think point part of the point of shifting to the Ananias side is well we want to know what happens how does this guy show up but also this is somebody we've never heard of before we'll never hear from again Jesus is using ordinary faithful followers to I mean in this case, literally changed the world. Uh, but in every case, uh, we don't ever see anyone come to faith in Jesus and Acts without some sort of human agent or intermediary. Even here, Jesus doesn't so much seal the deal with Saul as say, okay, now Ananias will come, lay hands, you know, heal, receive the Holy Spirit, baptize. All those things have to happen the, within the community. And you know, I'm preaching next week too. And immediately we're going to see, and for some days, Saul was with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he's in the community. He's part of the community. So um, Jesus calls people to himself, sometimes miraculously like this, but always through someone else, through some intermediary, uh, you know, some human agent. And so uh, the question for us was like, what's so special about this guy? Nothing. He just knew how to listen to the voice of Jesus. What about us? You know, did this guy have some special knowledge about how to talk to people about who Jesus is? Not really, um, but it is something you can grow in. And what about us? Are we ready? Uh, do we know what we would say if we had, if we heard this kind of calling from Jesus to go talk to this person, to talk to that person? And then how do we kind of overcome the internal emotional barriers to talking to someone else about Jesus and go take action? So, yeah. 
primarily it was like, man, you know, Ananias got to be the 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 hinge around which Saul's entire life pivoted off in a new direction. And every time we talk about Jesus, every time we speak the words of the gospel, we have the opportunity to be that hinge, our words to be that hinge in someone else's life. And that's that's huge. That's huge. And that's part of the calling to which every follower of Jesus, not just Ananias and not just Saul, that Saul, that's part of the calling that all of us are commissioned to, uh, to be those who bring the message of reconciliation um, and life in Christ to others. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about that application Mm -hmm. in a little, in a few minutes before we talk about the call that we have on our own lives to bring Mm -hmm. the gospel and be that hinge for somebody. Let's talk about what you needed to cut for time from the sermon. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, um, we, we didn't have time on Sunday to get into a long conversation about whether or not the word conversion is the right word to use to talk about what happens to Saul, um, or even to any of these early Jewish followers of Jesus. Um, we, we called it the conversion, you know, and your Bible probably has a heading. Let's see if, um, mine does. Yes. The conversion of Saul, you know, the word conversion tends to imply like you used to follow one religion and now you follow another religion. And we mean it in very like modern uses of the word religion. Um, back in Paul's day, there wasn't really anything known as like the religion of Judaism and Christianity, Christianity didn't come along and be thought of as a new religion. Uh, in the way we use the word until much, much later. Like what Mm -hmm. happens to Saul, Saul never for a moment stops believing in the one God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? He he never stops believing in the Old Testament uh, or in Israel's God or in the hope of Israel's coming Messiah. Uh, What sets him apart, what sort of is the conversion, if you will, is the, the whole and complete, like the radical lifestyle change um, as his entire life is reordered around suddenly realizing that Israel is no longer just hoping for a Messiah, that Messiah has come, right? And so he's not converted from Judaism to Christianity, uh, Christ, Christianity meaning, of course, anointed one, which is this what Messiah means. Like uh, he, he, isn't, he isn't converted from Judaism to um, something totally separate. It's more like he goes from being Jewish to being a Messianic Jew. Uh, a Jew, a Jewish person who believes that the Messiah has actually come, mm-hmm. and, and you know, we could have talked uh, a lot more about it. I'm I'm um, looking at one of the books that talks about this a little bit, and um, just saying like it's easy for us to get this kind of wrong. But um, what happened there on the road with Saul? Uh, one guy says this this moment shattered Saul's wildest dreams, and at the same split second fulfilled them. This was, he saw it in that instant, this was the fulfillment of Israel's ancient scriptures, but also the utter denial of the way he'd been reading them up to that point. So God, the creator, had raised Jesus from the dead, declaring not only that he really was Israel's Messiah, but that he had done what the one God had promised himself to do, but in person. Saul had been absolutely right in his devotion to the one God, but absolutely wrong in his understanding of who that one God was and how his purposes would be fulfilled. And you know, it goes on and on. It's like he's absolutely devoted to Torah and temple, not realizing that those are pointing ahead to the right. Messiah, um, not that the Messiah would be subsumed under them, that you know, the, the temple is the place where heaven and earth meet, but Jesus is the place where heaven and earth don't just meet, but are eternally fused together, eternally come together. And it's like, oh, so the Jesus is greater than the temple. I mean, it's all the stuff that the later New Testament develops, right? Um, It's not that 
Saul was converted from one religion to another. It's just that he finally saw that the entire Jewish way of life and belief was completely, absolutely, shockingly fulfilled in the Messiah being Jesus, the crucified and risen Messiah, which doesn't make any sense. It's not supposed to happen that way. Oh, wow. If it actually did happen that way, this whole thing, right? So Saul wasn't so much like, converted in like, well, he used to be an atheist and now he's a Christian. Um, some people, when they read like the passage we were looking at, they'll comment like, Hey, uh, you know, Jesus tells Ananias, you're going to find Paul and he's going to be, or Saul, and he's going to be praying like, Oh wow. He's right. He's praying. He's convert. Well, of course he's praying. Like he's a zealous Orthodox Jew. He prays at least three times a day. Mm -hmm. He's fasting and praying because the God that he has worshiped his entire life has suddenly been revealed to him to be Jesus, the Messiah. And it's like, what am I supposed to do with that? Everything's changed. So mm -hmm. in on the one hand, conversion is the right word to use because everything changes about Saul's life. He's totally sent off in a new direction. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, it's not a conversion. It's a confirmation or a fulfillment, or it's a growing of what he already believed to expand right. into something even bigger. Yes. And would you yeah. say he is like the epitome of, um, he was ever hearing, but never understanding and seeing, but never perceiving. Mm. And now he understands and now he perceives like in the fullness or is yeah. that different? No, well, I think that's a good, I think that's a good way to put it. It's like, um, you know, in a real minor way, it's like one of those, um, magic eye things or one of those optical illusions where like you can only see it one way and then suddenly you see it the other way and you don't know how you never didn't see it that way. Right. And yeah. then you can't not see it that way. Like it's one of those where it's right in front of you and it makes sense. Um, the only reason I would say is it's like, it's not quite like that is because it's more like all of the parts and pieces were there. And then the resurrection turned the lights on so you could actually see mm. what was there. Okay. Um, there, there's, uh, I forget who says this, um, but it's some theologian who talks about how the Old Testament is a fully furnished house with all of the doctrines of God, everything there, but it's not until the New Testament that the lights are turned on. So it's not that the in the New Testament we're making up new things or putting new furniture in the house. It's just that we were stumbling against the furniture in the dark in the Old Testament, and now in the New Testament, the light's on, and it's like, oh, so that's how it's been laid out this whole time. Mm -hmm. Now I see. Okay, that's a good analogy. All right. Um, okay, Joey, let's talk about just practical application of being willing to be that person, that hinge for people who mm -hmm. can like help make sense of who God really is and what the gospel mm -hmm. and what the good news is. What's like, like, don't pull any punches. What are we called to? If we are a believer, yeah. what does God actually ask us to do? Yeah. This isn't, is this just like an invitation of like, if you feel led or if you feel gifted or if this, if you've got time to kill, let's talk about this. Or like, is this a command? Yeah. What yeah. is it? Uh, it's a great question. Um, there is a, there's a part of this that is command. You can think of the great commission, go mm -hmm. and make disciples. Now, I believe that the great commission is a commissioning to the church universal, um, to its authoritative represent, uh, representatives, you know, the apostles, your job apostles is to build a church that goes around the world 
making disciples. And in the process of making disciples, you teach them, you baptize them, you teach them to obey, you know, all that, right? Um, which means every individual church is part of this mission. doesn't mean every individual church and every individual person is supposed to say, okay, right now I'm here, but I need to go somewhere in order to fulfill this. Because as soon as you go somewhere, you're there and you shouldn't go again, right? Um, but we are told uh, in other places, hey, we're supposed to be ready. Supposed to be always ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that's in us. Now, that's often used as like an apologetics verse. Um, this is why you need to be able to explain the cosmological argument for the existence of God or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily. It, it's supposed to say, or, it, or what it's telling us is that we're supposed to be ready when someone asks, why do you believe that the hope of Israel and the hope of the whole world has been fulfilled in a Jewish carpenter? You can say, well, here's why. This is why I believe that Jesus is actually the Messiah of Israel and the ruler of the whole world. Um, we're supposed to be ready to be able to explain that because let's think about the whole story of the Bible and where we fit into it. If the, the beginning of scripture is God saying, I am going to make people with whom I will dwell. I will dwell with them. They will be my people. I will be their God. Like the, These are words that are used later to kind of echo this whole thing. Um, they will be my representatives to the created world and they will be the representatives of the created world back to God. So we're supposed to, you know, uh, we're supposed to mediate God's rule to the world around us, leading the world into flourishing. And we're supposed to reflect the praises of the world back to God in the way that it's the way that we, the way that we use the raw material he gives us to create things that, that bring him glory. And I mean, bring him glory as in like, we're, using the skills, the abilities, the the gifts, the imagination that he's given us to create. He's a creator, we're creators. So that's the story, right? And Adam and Eve decide, now we're going to go off and create our own little kingdom where we don't have to reflect anything back. To, we don't have to mediate God to the kingdom. We don't have to reflect the kingdom back to God, but we're going to go do that. And, and immediately everything breaks, right? And the good news of scripture has been this, it's this whole long story of God saying, okay, you remember what we started in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? before Genesis 3. You remember what we started? We got to get that back on track. We have to get that back on track to where we're all mediating God's rule to the world and reflecting the praises of the world back to God. And he chooses Israel as the people through whom he's going to do that. Like they're the physicians that are going to heal this thing and get it back on. But then the physicians get the disease. And what are you supposed to do when the doctor gets sick? You know, who's going to care for the doctor? And that's where, I mean, I'm using sickness analogies, but it's deeper than that. And so ultimately God himself comes in Jesus and doesn't just lead or heal, uh, but ultimately gives himself, sacrifices himself in death to ultimately pay the, the price for sin. So the story is the good news, the gospel message is that God is setting the world back on track of how he created it to be in the very beginning. He's doing it first in individuals personally so that they then with him can set the whole world back to rights, which means if you want to be part of, like if, if me being part of God setting the world back to rights, like that's what I'm here for. The primary and very first way I do that is by helping other people discover how to be set back right with God so that they too can join in uh, that work. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean everyone is supposed to be a professional paid evangelist and but it does mean that each of us has a responsibility to understand where do I fit in the story of the Bible? How am I one of those who is 
leading other people to become right with God, you know, telling other people how they become right with God so that they can discover what it means to, you know, be truly human, what we were put here for. Uh, we got to be ready to explain it. It's mm -hmm. Jesus died for your sins. And that's, that's the foundation of it. And then yet, of course, there's so much more to the story than just that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Joey, I should be doing that also. It's mm -hmm. easy. I mean, maybe it's not easy, but to me, I'm like, this is your job. You're a pastor. Mm -hmm. It makes uh -huh. sense that like you're really into this and you're passionate about it and you feel confident and capable. Mm -hmm. Somewhat. I mean, I, I listened to Pastor Bob preaching a couple of weeks ago and I was like, how, how did you lead 15 people to Jesus in two months? Like, where did they come from? It's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess you're a preaching pastor and people were bringing people to visit the church and you got to do one-on-one -on -one follow up with them and then be like, Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And I was like, man, I want to do that. I like, yeah. I want that to be my story too. Um, but yeah. Bob's one of those guys who's like gifted as an evangelist, right? Not just gifted in what to say, but apparently gifted with the, uh, the schedule. I don't know. Maybe he's like in a mag, a magnet for non-believers. They just to him. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, whether we have like the gift of evangelism or the the role of evangelism, like we're all supposed to do the work of an evangelist of being an open, open and ready um, to tell people about Jesus. And that doesn't mean like totally changing the way you live and everything that you're doing. And like, oh, I, I you know, I can't, I can't do all the normal stuff now because I need to add door to door evangelism or I need to add this or add that. It's, it's not that at all. It's in the ordinary course of life. Who is God bringing to you that you can develop a relationship with? Not because you're trying to, you know, notch on your belt or anything, but because this is a human being that God cares about. And so do you, um, so that eventually you can, you know, overcome the internal barriers to the barriers that are internal to yourself and the barriers, kind of social barriers around this to be able to say, Hey, have you considered that everything your life is longing for is actually not anything you can achieve on your own, but it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean like you quit going to soccer practice. It just means you're there with different eyes and you don't quit going to the store, but you've got different eyes. You don't quit going to your book club. You've just got different eyes while you're there in a different heart. Uh, you know, you don't quit volunteering you know, PTA or whatever. It's just, you're in all of those things and you're seeing more than just the tasks that you're there to do, but the actual people around you and where they are in their relationship with Jesus, with, with the God who created them. Yeah, I'd say that being a part of eShift in the last year, mm -hmm. like did change the game for me in that way. And so I didn't really know what I was getting into. Honestly, mm -hmm. I was excited about it, excited about the idea of like, first of all, I just love learning, um, learning something new, but then finding that it's not asking me to like add an extra thing to my plate. It's just really just changing my heart and my thoughts around what I'm already doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The seminars we we did and for the leaders, it was like, you know, a three and a half hour seminar and then an hour and a half the next day. And, and it was kind of some intense weekends, but it was kind of like a, a boot camp, right? You go through it once so that you're prepared then for the rest of your life to keep doing the stuff you were trained and doing. And, and that's kind of like with the, the life to life groups that we're trying to uh, get going here in the next week um, do too. It's that part's a commitment. You got to carve out the time for it, but it's kind of like a boot camp commitment. You do it once. I mean, I suppose you could do it multiple times, but and you, you do it once and then you're like, okay, now I know what to do and let's just go do it. 
Yeah. And honestly, I think that like once I showed up as like a willing participant, not willing in the group, but like with the Lord, like when I show up Mm -hmm. to the Lord and I'm like, okay, God, I'll give this a shot. Like use me Mm -hmm. and let me like lean into this. Right. Let me tell you, I feel like he made it almost too easy on me. Like, so the first question we ask is, name one, two, or three or four people in your life right now who are non-believers that you care about mm-hmm. to pursue intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like we're, I'm going to cold call them and be like, by the way, you're on my mind. I'm going to just lay out the gospel for you. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to accept it? I've That's never told you I'm it. a Christian, but I'm coming clean. Yeah. Prepare yourself. <laughs> it's not like that at all. And it's also definitely not manipulative. It's not like, Oh, I'm only going to be your friend and only pursue you because I have, I, I expect right, you right. to per- like love the Lord in the end. Like, right. it's not up to us, honestly, but it's just becoming available. Right. And the moment I made myself available, I felt like this one individual who had been on my heart starts showing up everywhere in my life in ways that just don't even make sense because she does she lives like 25 minutes away from me and our girls were in the same soccer league when I hadn't even talked about her or talked about it with her. How many soccer leagues are there in the city of Indianapolis? Mm-hmm. And then let alone like how many practice times and there are like 20 teams for our kids age group. And also our kids are four. Why are they even in soccer to begin with? And so <laughs> we both were insane enough to just like take the leap and do spring soccer And now I get to see her two times a week when I like saw her like less frequently. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seeing her on game days and practice days. And I just think that like, that is not an accident. The moment I say, all right, Lord, I am available to be used by you in this way. What can we accomplish? Like, what could we do? And he made it super easy on me to just Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to pursue this mom twice a week. And I don't, I'm not adding anything to my plate. I decided to add soccer. That wasn't for evangelism. That was for our family, for my kid. And so while I'm there, let's just be intentional. And like it has, it, I would just really encourage people if they're just thinking about being in these life to life groups, or if they maybe are just thinking like they feel maxed out right now, Mm -hmm. honestly, like do it. I know that seems like really easy to say. Um, but like, it does not add to the plate as much as like, it seems really scary to commit mm-hmm. to another thing, which mm-hmm, for we sure. feel maxed out at, but it is, um, it is as much of a gift. The investment of time is as much as a gift to you as it is to the people mm-hmm. that you're pouring into. Mm-hmm. Um, I just would really encourage people, even if they think I know how to do evangelism, I know how to talk about my faith. Um, I thought that I knew a good amount also just like being in college ministry and doing evangelism or doing Mm -hmm. summer, um, summer trips and stuff like that. Um, it's just like, it changed the game for me and I needed it because this is like actually a way that I could see myself being able to do sustainable evangelism or just sharing my faith in a way that I can do this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't have to make time for it or put it on my to-do list or like, it just, it fits and it makes sense to me. And I, but I needed, I did need the training to be able to see how it all works together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the word sustainable know. that you use because it's like, 
how do I maintain or how do I build a sustainable focus on evangelism without yeah. feeling like, okay, I got to put it on a list so that I keep remembering to come back to it. It's like, it's not, no, it's not like that. It doesn't become that it, it it's to steal the analogy we just used in a totally different context. It is a lot like the lights coming on in a room that you're like, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is the same room I've been in my whole life or, you know, this whole soccer season or whatever. And all of a sudden I'm like seeing opportunities more clearly. So, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. you know, I did have one person ask me how much work the life to life groups are. Yeah. So I should answer that question briefly. I've got one of the sessions like up here in front of me. And so you get together for the session is like an hour, hour and a half, depending on how many people, how much sharing there is. There's like a look back part where you, okay, what happened last week in the lives of the people that you're focusing on? You know, what are you able to do? Then there's the, they call it the look up, right? So there's a key principle that you're learning, some scripture references that you spend some time looking at on your own a little bit in the group. Uh, and then you watch a video. And the, the videos are, it's uh, the same people who did the training for us teach these videos. So you watch the session, jot down a few things, and then a little bit of digging deeper into a key passage, then look forward. Okay. Um, take a couple minutes, jot down some things that apply to this. How are you going to put this into practice? Um, and then quick summary and between that session and the next one, you've got somebody you're partnered with that you're connecting with them at least once, like, how's it going for you, right? And that's as kind of as involved as it needs to be. There's also a daily devotional that people who are going through it could grab a copy uh, for themselves if they wanted to and kind of read this on a daily basis. There's um, a collection of stories of like evangelism stories that people could also read along the way if they wanted to add some more to it. Uh, but that's primarily it is be there for that hour, hour and a half and then start walking around with new eyes and see what changes. Mm -hmm. And I'm be honest, Joey, I know I was supposed to do that daily devotional. I didn't. I didn't. And like, okay, see, let's either. just, let's just it's normalize okay. that we yeah. can't finish those things sometimes and let people know, like, it's okay. If you have capacity, amazing. Do it. Yeah. If you don't have capacity for that, you should still do commit this hour and a half to making the entire, you know, however many years you have left to live mm -hmm. for God's mm -hmm. glory to like do sustainable ministry wherever you're placed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this doesn't just, you know, impact faith. This is not about faith church growing or getting bigger. This is about mm -hmm. us being here as a beacon of God's shalom and his peace, introducing other people to the God who wants to put them right. Mm hmm so that mm -hmm. they can experience full human flourishing now and ultimately in, in the kingdom to come. I mean, that's why we're here, right? Mm -hmm. If if we do this and faith church gets smaller because so many people are coming to Jesus that new churches are starting and they're spreading out and they're going like, that's awesome. Because yeah. it's not about us. It's about God's glory and people coming to know him. That's why we're here. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So people can go to, I know we've said it, or put it up on the screen and stuff like that. It's faithchurchindy.com slash life to life. I think however you spell that, you're going to, you're going to get there eventually. Um, can we spell life with a Y and still get there? Did we, did we do that one? <laughs> we did not do that. We one. didn't do that one. Okay. Well, <laughs> don't go you know, too crazy. Spell life correctly, at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Life to life. And there's, there's like an online group. There's evening groups. There's midday groups. There's early morning groups. There's Sunday after church and Wednesday before church. And so there should be a group that fits, uh, fits your schedule. So yeah. All right. Thanks, Joey. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you. Looking forward to being back next week because now we've got Saul 
in Damascus. And then, you know, this is his missionary journey starts with him sneaking away from the people he's supposed to reach uh, in the middle of the night, being let down the city walls in a basket. So it's a real, it's a real great way to start your ministry. Real high point. Wow. Amazing. (laughs) Can't wait. Can't wait. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.